Okay, good evening and welcome back, everyone. It's great to be back after half term. Hope you all out there had a wonderful half term break. Um, this evening, we've got another instalment of Bright Island Discs, and we're here with Nick Dodd, actually. Say hi to us, Nick. Hi. It's good to be in here with you. Um, so, as tradition of Bright Island Discs, as you were saying just a second ago, you've listened to one or two. Um, so, you probably know what question's coming up first. It's, of course, the Bright Island Disc classic of which luxury item and book would you bring to the you're stranded by the way on bry island so just talk to us a little bit about your choices um well i think the um first thing would be i don't know it took a lot of deciding what the luxury item would be um but i think i'm just going to go with a, a bit of mattress actually uh i think that's just something i'd want to make sure that i've got good quality sleep um i don't sleep too much but you know just to make sure it's comfortable and enjoyable and refreshing i think that's that's important for me um, and then the book, my book choice is a book called The Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad. Um, it's a book that I think surprises. It surprised me. It's by an author who I had to study at A-level. I had to study his book Nostromo, which was uh, particularly hard work and not very enjoyable. So, <clears throat> excuse me, to then find that I enjoyed uh, The Secret Agent was quite a surprise. It's a book that I think lulls you into a false sense of being quite mundane for the first quarter but if you make it through that and and it's it kind of gets very explosive literally um and uh and it needs to because otherwise you'd put it down if you had to go too much further but it's a, it's a great read and it's just one that keeps you going you discover new things every time you read it so you know it's really quite a, quite inspirational in that way and it's written by a man who i don't think could even speak or write english until he was about 20 years old because he's uh, he was polish originally so yeah superb book i recommend it to anyone who's got the time to sit down and read it yeah, going. the secret That's agent, good. definitely. Yeah. Uh, so is that kind of like a standalone thing, or is it like a part of a series, or is it just kind of like a one-off? One-off. Uh, it's a standalone novel. You know? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, sort of early twentieth-century novel. Yeah. That's yeah. really really cool. Yeah, no, yeah definitely. And you you said a mattress, so that's yes. kind of more. Um, I guess you're kind of going for more kind of like luxury. That is quite a luxury. Well, item, possibly comfort. Uh, yeah, comfort uh, you, you know, um, but yeah, obviously, I just uh, I just find that quite essential, really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think you know some people. I think that's kind of uh, quite a lot of people have said a pillow. So, oh, have they? Uh, yeah, oh, have I gone a bit rod? too far? Okay. Uh, no, 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 not <laughs> okay. at all. Not at all. Mattresses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, definitely that makes sense. So no, that's a good choice. Um, so just talk to us a little bit about kind of your you know what kind of what you do here at Bryant's it's quite I think obviously you're yeah. not a teaching staff as such that I'm no, aware of anyway no so, no no um it's I think obviously you've got a super important role so just kind of talk to us a little <laughs> bit about what it means okay. well the, the job title is chief operating officer and clerk to the governors as well so there's two elements to, to the job the chief operating officer basically does three things I think which is to help drive and formulate the strategy and the strategic direction for Bryanston. Um, and then the second part is to really make sure that that's achievable and can be integrated into everything we want to do for the future. Um, and the th so that really kind of puts uh, puts a nice control or check on the, the ideas team because you've got a lot of creative people here who come up with some really brilliant ideas. And then we have to work out what's feasible and affordable. And then the last part is uh, really looking after all of the support operations. So, you know, the, all the people you'll see across catering, grounds, equestrian, um, Anything that is, as you say, isn't a, a teaching role, but obviously vital roles for the school, and then how we do that very effectively and efficiently um, for the school uh, and the wider enterprise as well, because obviously we have a commercial arm to what we do at Bryanston. When, when you're not here during the summer and Easter holidays, there are almost as many people still here using our facilities for various summer courses and, and events that we run. Uh, and then the second part of the job, which is clerk to the governors, is very much helping the governing body ensure that its governance and its rules and its standards are of the highest order and that we're doing everything 
by the book, which of course we do, and that we're doing that in a way that keeps us fresh and relevant for the future. Um, so those are the key areas, really, in summary. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll return a little bit to it after the yeah, first sure. music break, uh, if that's okay. Yep. Um, but talk to us a little bit about your uh, first music uh, choice, which I think we've got down as Guitar Man by Elvis Presley. Yes, yes. Uh, it makes it sound uh, quite <laughs> rock and roll, doesn't it? I mean, it goes back quite a way. I think it's, it's about 1968, this song, when Elvis was trying to make a bit of a comeback. But it's an important song for me because in the 70s when I was, you know, sort of uh, aged from zero to 10, um, it, it was it was probably the first music that I was really exposed to. My mom was a huge Elvis Presley fan, uh, a bit of a nut in, in that respect. And and when I was growing up, my dad was working away a lot. So we used to spend a lot of evenings listening to the 40 greatest hits of Elvis Presley. And some of them are pretty dire in my opinion but you know there are a few standout tracks and this one for me is just uh is it just takes me right back to that time of those evenings when i was growing up but also i kind of like it because it tells a bit of a story i'd like a song that tells a bit of a story which again crops up in one of my later choices so yeah it's it's important for me it takes me right back to a time of you know when you're you're you don't have to worry about anything you're young enough to not mm-hmm. care about anything and uh, you, you know someone's looking after you so it's a really a bit of a nostalgia track for me this one. Oh, 100% that's amazing well thank you for the story nick and let's hear let's hear that now thank you make sure you're listening to our breakfast shows every monday wednesday and friday from 7:30 a.m. Bry radio the music you love right here right now Well, I quit my job down at the car wash. I left my mama a goodbye note. By sundown, I left Kingston with my guitar under my coat. I hitchhiked all the way down to Memphis, got a room at the YMCA. For the next three weeks, I went a hunting them nightclubs looking for a place to play. Well, I thought my picking would set them on fire, but nobody wanted to hire a guitar man. Well, I nearly about starved to death down in Memphis. I run out of money and luck. So I bought me a ride down to Macon, Georgia on an overloaded poultry truck. I thumbed on down to Panama City, started picking out some of them all-night bars. I hoping I could make myself a dollar making music on my guitar. I got the same old story, them all-night peers, but there ain't no room around here for a guitar man. We don't need a guitar man, son. So I slept in the hobo jungles, I roamed a thousand miles of track. Till I found myself in Mobile, Alabama, had a club they called Big Jacks. A little four-piece band was jamming, so I took my guitar and I set in. I showed them what a band would sound like, I was a swinging little guitar, man, show them, son. Take a trip down to the ocean Find yourself down around Mobile Make it on out to a club called Jack's If you got a little time to kill I Just follow that crowd of people You'll wind up out on his dance floor I'm Digging to find this little five-piece group Up and down the Gulf of Mexico I guess who's leading that five-piece band well, Wouldn't you know it's that swinging little guitar man Yeah, yeah back thank you very much nick for that um for that song choice taking you back no kind of all those all those years so 
Um, not that so many. No, not no, that, no, many, not that, that many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the feedback. <laughs> so, um, kind of in terms of music back then, mm. I'm quite interested to hear. So, what was your kind of main method of kind of I don't know collecting music? I suppose. Uh, how did you kind of hear of music? Was it through like the radio or? Yeah, it was mainly the radio. It's mainly the radio. I mean, my parents were into into various types of music, but it wasn't particularly contemporary. Um, although it doesn't feel that it was that far apart. You know, eight eight years probably. Um, between the mid seventies and that that track, but uh, you know at the time it felt like it was eons before. Um, so it was mainly the radio back then, um, and of course most things were on vinyl and uh, and cassettes. So there was a fair fair bit of vinyl in the house that you listen to. But uh, and it kind of give you a bit of a background, helps you sort of hone in on what you like and what you don't like. But uh, and then my brother, so I've got an older brother, he's four years older than me. He he was probably starting to buy records and stuff before I was. So as soon as he started doing that, you got to a flavour for the kind of things he was buying and what you wanted to buy yourself, you know. So so that that was that was basically where it came from and uh, and most of that knowledge. I didn't there was no one in my family who was particularly musical. My grandfather used to play the accordion, um, but uh, it was that's a bit of an acquired taste. But uh, he, uh, he he I didn't uh, our lives only la- overlapped by about eight years, so I didn't really ever get to see him do that. But uh, so there wasn't a lot of uh, there weren't musicians in the house, but there were definitely there was a lot of music around, you know, from as I say, from the radio primarily or whatever was on TV. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's uh, interesting. And when you say you had a brother who you've got a brother who's a few years older than you, yep. would you say kind of, especially in that kind of period of like youth, kind of being like a young teenager, would you say his music taste had quite a big influence on you? I guess kind of teenagers are quite um, malleable. No, not really. I think his, his musical tastes are quite, well, and that's probably a bit unfair. His music tastes are a bit different to mine, but uh, I'd often go and read his sort of record collection and listen to what he had, even if I hadn't heard of them. Because I was always quite hungry to listen to all different types of music and styles, um, which you may not sense from the five tracks I've chosen today, but it's quite eclectic um, in the stuff that I like. So, it was it mainly there was a fair bit of that, but then of course it was from friends at school and people that you knew and people you thought were cool and what they listened to and whether you liked that or not. And you know, you, you when it, certainly when I was that age, you you kind of forced yourself to listen to loads of stuff that other people liked because it was kind of cool, um, but you may not have liked it yourself. And then you start to find your own way, don't you? So that, that's kind of where it came from. Yes. Yeah. So was would you say was kind of like your was your friendship group quite a huge impact on you? Were you kind of like trading like maybe record discs or how did it work really? Um, record discs. That's a new that's a new term. I like that. Um, but uh, but no no not really. I mean you you not really. You just mainly talk about it. You know and uh, and you know what you liked and those kind of things. There weren't a lot of people I, I sense going out buying loads of records. Um, and some kids and, and friends just weren't really into music that much at all, you know. Um, so it, it wasn't really in sort of the, till the mid-80s, I suppose, when that started to happen a lot more, you know. And by then you'd gone through your journey of starting to get to know the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all the sort of what you considered older music then and now seems like really ancient music, but, you know, still passes the test of time, you know. So that that was a kind of good, you know, grounding in music and style and quality that you then decided where you wanted to go after that. But yeah, it was mainly, it, it, it kind of started off with the parents, then it would have gone to my, my brother and the kind of things he was bringing home and some of his friends in terms of music and then and then on to um, what, what your friends were listening to and what was, you know, as I say, what was on TV, the kind of things you were listening to and seeing on TV as well as the radio again. You know, it was a big, radio and TV was a much bigger driver, I think, because you had so so much 
so much fewer, uh, so many fewer channels to choose from uh, as well. So there wasn't much. Uh, I'm starting to sound really old now because it's starting to say, going back to this time, you know, there's only three TV channels and it was all BBC radios one to four, you know. But um, that's that's kind of where it's uh, where it all came from. Yeah, it's yeah. its origin. Yeah, so yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting. Kind of, I think. Yeah, it's kind of traditional, kind of typical, definitely of most families, uh, especially. Yeah, it's not at all out of, of the ordinary. I don't think yeah. really. You know, 100%. at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got your second track here as well. I think uh, it'd be great, to kind of, for you to tell us a little bit about that. So we've got uh, "She Sells a Sanctuary." Is that right? Yeah, by it the is. cult. By yeah. the cult. Yeah. I mean, it, this this was a track that came out in the eighties, and it, personally. And it is a very personal opinion because I know a lot of people are very nostalgic about music from the 80s. I, I thought it was a bit of a decade with very little of, of memorable music uh, of any great standards, which I'm sure if uh, there could be a deluge of reaction to that kind of comment. There was some great some great music, but, you know, the, the, there were a few that stood out to me. And She Sells Sanctuary, I think, was a, was a track that stands out quite significantly. It was very different to a lot of the popular music at the time. I think it still carries itself very well. And it's my wife's favourite song from the 80s as well. So, you know, it, it works for both of us. So it's got some sentimental value there as well. But it's just it's just powerful. It's energetic. It gets you in a great mood, personally, I think. So it's a, it's just a great song to listen to. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah it's nice. It's kind of especially got that sentimental mm. value. It's mm. super worthwhile song in that case. So let's hear it now. Thank you, Nick. Okay.
Okay, cool. A bit of kind of 80s music there, kind of seasoning, which I think is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for that, Nick. Um, So I think as you, well, kind of moving kind of past, um, you know, kind of your early years, how would you say your kind of musical taste change? You said it, as you said, just before the break, it's quite eclectic, as you said, and we'll kind of get onto the rest uh, shortly. Mm. Um, But would you say your influence changed? um, Yeah, massively. I'd say massively. It was... As I say, I was kind of frustrated with them. Not that I spent all, all of my waking hours being frustrated with the music of the eighties, but it was it didn't quite it hit the mark with me. So when you know music started to change, I think coming out of the back end of the eighties, you started to get a lot of sort of indie music from from Manchester and places like that. You know, the Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, all of that kind of thing. And then you and then you know dance music took off massively in the late eighties and early nineties. So it, and that was the time when I was went to university. So I, I left school in nineteen eighty eight. A-levels were okay, but they weren't brilliant, um, and then went off to um, University of Wales in, in Swansea, which was superb because you sort of walked out the front of the of the university and the beach was opposite, so that was great fun. But, uh, you know, studied hard, actually, because I kind of realised I need, needed to do that. Um, got my degree in, in Swansea and then um, decided to do a master's, in, and my degree was in psychology, so I went on then, and I was very, very fascinated by the application of psychology to police and criminal investigations. Um, and at the time, things like psychological offender profiling was becoming very popular and, and interested. And there was a lot of it in the, in the media and certainly on television. Um, there was a show called Cracker that was around back at that point in time, which was Robbie Coltrane playing, playing a psychologist in these roles. But that came after I'd made the decision to do it. It wasn't the thing that made me do it. So I started uh, a master's degree at the University of Surrey uh, and I went and did that for a, a year um, and whilst I was there, I also took part in some clinical trials uh, that were being held at the at the hospital, uh, which meant I had to stay in for the whole weekend. So it was nothing serious. They were just testing various various things, and it was actually a sort of anti um, um, what's it called? Um, uh, <laughs> that's completely gone from my head. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, this this stuff was was designed to try and help you get over jet lag. That's what I was trying trying to think of. Um, and it's um, it, so it involved three trials in for weekends, and then a couple of friends of mine gave me some you know, tapes as it was back then to listen to. Um, and this the next track that we're coming on to was kind of was one of the first albums that I listened to that was completely different to, to anything I'd been listening to at the time, and it kind of ter- totally changed my focus and broadened my listening tastes i suppose one of a word to do a lot more sort of dance driven music which may sound really odd to anyone who sees me around around uh, around the school so i probably don't look look as if that would be me at all but it was it, again it was a real sort of power and energy of, of the music that really got me um and i and i loved that and and then spent a significant amount of my time <laughs> when i should have been doing my masters and then i also went on to do a phd as well um it, 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 going out to nightclubs i suppose for a period of time um, but with, that wasn't sustainable after a certain amount of time. But nonetheless, it was all great fun. So, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, my music changed, my taste changed quite significantly with that, I think, and uh, really opened your mind up to just the sort of energy and the, and the sheer power of, of sound as much as the sort of sound and vocals of, of emotion that came with it as well and how that almost wall of sound that you, I think you can get is quite, you know, physical in a way. When you're in that environment of extremely loud music and loads of people having a fantastic time together and really, really enjoying themselves, so I think that was that was quite game changing, really, in a way. So that that was that was how things changed and how the next track came along because it is very different 
to uh, to some of the things we've listened to so far. You know. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've, honestly, I, th- I think that's so cool. Kind of, um, you know, in that kind of setting, I think you know, drastically kind of coming from like you know, family kind of having record history mm. like passed mm. down, you know, all yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and then you know, it's kind of that, like, especially like university, post university setting. It's it's, mm. it's great. Um, kind of on the topic of university, University of Wales. Did you say in in Swansea? Uh, started at University of Wales in Swansea. Yep. Yeah. So yep. kind of well, and then moving on to uh, Surrey. Is that right? So moved on to Surrey, and then I was, I was after I'd finished my masters, I was part of a research unit there that we did a, a lot of work with the police and various organisations looking at um, crime, crime patterns, crime trends, and working on live investigations. But that research unit then relocated to Liverpool, so I got to spend the, the next five years of my life in in Liverpool, which is which is a fantastic place to be a student. You know, mm. so that was that was really really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think I found it I find it so interesting, specifically about um, you know, kind of like is it criminology? Kind of working with the police. I mean, talk to, it's talk not to criminology. That's, a, no? that's that's slightly different. Slightly different. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no and it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Psychology is a lot more about the, the sort of study of human behaviour. Okay. And, then, and if you understand, you know, if you do the right sort of research and create the, the sort of databases and the analysis to to understand that you can start to make predictions about criminal patterns and criminal behaviors mm. which obviously can allow you to create a, a, a an offender profile for an unknown offender or indeed it can help you with crime prevention and all sorts of changes to processes and approaches that can refine methods of detection but also if you're an organization that's that's likely to be attacked for whatever reasons or crime can be committed against you, it can tighten up processes and controls within an organisation as well. So, you know, it's, there's there's many um, applications of, of psychology, um, which which is very different to criminology, which is a bit more the sort yeah. of study of the social aspects of, of crime um, and a little less empirical, or it used to be back then, I think they probably have drifted a little closer together over the, over the decades, but back then there was quite a distinction between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it was, it was exciting. It was a very, very fascinating subject to be working in at the time. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, cool. So I kind of suppose you've somewhat hinted towards it already, but what mm. uh, maybe what kind of skills? Was this your first job? Is that right? Is that uh, well, no, it was. Uh, I was still studying. Still studying. Well, it, it kind of went hand in hand because when I, once I started a doctorate, you, you, I then did work in the university department. So I worked on various research projects. Um, again, with different organisations and the police, I set up some international short courses where I had police officers coming from all over the world to come and do residential short courses with us. Um, and, and again, that was great experience because you were meeting detectives. Some of them came in like Philip Marlowe, who's a sort of 1960s sort of detective type and others who were very modern and progressive in the way that they approach things. Um, so that was that was quite that was very interesting. And then. Um, um, Sorry, what was the question again? It's just gone from my mind. Yeah, no, it was good. Well, actually, I was, what I was going to ask you is what kind of skill set would you yeah, the skill set, yeah. from So, yeah, so, so, I, so I was working, as I said, I was working because I was also tutoring and, and doing some lecturing as well and teaching various statistical methods to people as well. So obviously teaching and lecturing, coaching, mentoring was part of it. Um, skill sets, I suppose, just in terms of your, your ability to, to undertake really robust and solid research that you could make solid conclusions from making recommendations and advising as i say the police and organizations on on how to uh, run their investigations more effectively um, but also the commercial elements of you know setting up those short courses there was a big commercial element to that we needed to make some money and we needed to make some profit from what we were doing because then you can invest that back into the education of the students you know which in itself is very similar to the model of, of Bryanston yes you know, because we, we, we have to do exactly the same here 
So you know, it, it was the beginning of all those those sort of skill sets. But uh, and I suppose a big part of that was was a set of consultative skills. Um, you know, understanding your clients and understanding the person that you're trying to pitch to and get them to invest in your ideas and what you want to do with those ideas um, it, it, when they, they could be fairly ruthless um, was was quite character building. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, really you know process I mean? it yeah, 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 to some yeah. degree. You certainly learned how to deal with rejection quite quickly. Yeah, you know, I can imagine. Which is good in many ways, yeah. Oh, amazing. No, that's really, really cool. It's, yeah, kind of definitely towards the business end of things, but, you know, super, super kind of interesting. It started to shift that way yeah, yeah, during that time. period of time. Yeah. I imagine, yeah. Um, so anyway, moving on to your third song, Odes to Billy Joe. Is that uh, is that right? Oh, I'm not going to pronounce who, who it's by. <laughs> you might need to help me if that's all right. Um, oh, sorry. Is that, I went in the wrong order there because I built up the track about dance music, didn't I? But it's actually Ode to Billy Joe, right, which is by Sinead O'Connor. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, I mean, this is this is quite an odd one. I think I kind of came to this song a bit later, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily when it was out and current. And it's and it's a track that's been covered by Sinead O'Connor. I think it was actually sung by Bobby Gentry originally. Um, but it was, I remember it cropping up on a on a charity album for the homeless um, back in the nineties, and and it's just grown on me ever since. And again, it's another one of those songs that tells tells a story. Which I think has got a certain mystique to it, and and I must like mundanity because I mentioned that about the Conrad novel, didn't I? But I think this this kind of describes a certain domestic mundanity that suddenly then develops into something completely different, and uh, and it changes the whole angle and dynamic of the song. I think, but uh, you know, it tells a great story. I think it's very well sung, and it's just uh, I just love playing this song. And yeah, cool. to, you know. Wow, amazing. Well, let's hear it now. Thank you, Nick. Jumped off the Tallahatchie 
Okay, so um, we're just chatting a little bit in the break, actually kind of having a little bit of a dilemma here. Anyway, I won't go into it. So, um, <laughs> um, so we're talking um, about how you kind of left mm. the uh, kind of education industry and then kind of went into the business industry um, or the education sector, the business sector even. Mm. Um, so kind of talk to us, actually, as you kind of... Um, uh, kind of graduated through university in its entirety yep. and um you know you kind of had that experience with kind of working with the police and you know, kind of a business somewhat business aspect mm. um kind of what what was what kind of what was it for you what that happened then really kind of just kind of talk to us about well, that um, part of your life uh, so the work that i was doing you know it started off there, lots of people were fascinated and, and unfortunately i suppose in a way but from a psychologist's point of view with various serious offenders that were you know often involved violence and, and murder and all of these kind of things but and that was all very interesting but everyone was queuing up to do that i, I started to work then with with my supervisor looking at uh, business crime and pilfering fraud all of these kinds of activities which isn't the most exciting subject in the world i i, I know that uh, and certainly when i usually start used to start talking about it people would glaze over and disappear very quickly but nonetheless it was it was pretty relevant to businesses and organizations so that that led to me um, working with um, three insurance companies at the time. Obviously, insurance fraud is quite a big thing that they have to deal with. I mean, none of those insurance companies exist anymore. And then I went on to work with um, part of Royal Mail, which is Pass Force Worldwide, about theft from the from the postal system, um, and just helping them try and understand their recruitment processes and how you filtered out potential people with those kind of characteristics and then also how you manage those risks within the organization and how you dealt with them to try and create processes that meant the opportunity for that kind of um, theft from the service because obviously with parcel force it was very much parcels and high value desirable items that often went went missing um, to, to improve and tighten up those processes so that was that was where I then spent the next two or three years which kind of obviously exposed me up to into a much more commercial world um, and looking at the bottom line became far more important, I think, as part of that. So it, it kind of created a, a desire more to move out of academia. And I, I naively thought it was 
coming to the point where I thought academics, there's a lot of big egos in an academic university department, as if that wouldn't exist anywhere else in the world, right? But of course it, it did. Uh, but I made that decision to move to move out. And the, that connection with Parcel Force meant that I was able to secure a role uh, in an internal consultancy with Royal Mail um, down in London. So I moved down to London with that job um, and stuck with Royal Mail for about seven years, I think it was. Um, but the great thing about Royal Mail is how much you could move around. So I started off in internal consultancy, uh, looking at um, knowledge management, project management, change management. And by the time I left, I was heading up a, a whole forecasting um, function in, in a finance team for their whole logistics operation, which covered everything from planes, trains, roads, um, uh, and everything else. Um, so you know that was that was a big cost base to manage and 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 work on that as well. So quite a breadth of experience um, work, working in that sector. Um, so that that basically took up the the next seven years of of my life, as I say, um, and then from there. Um, it was because Royal Mail was partly mainly public sector, but, you know, kind of run to private sector principles. Um, I, I decided that I wanted to move straight into the private sector and be, you know, work for a FTSE 100 company. Mm. Um, and so I left Royal Mail, took two or three months out between jobs because they were offering a very, very, very generous redundancy package at the time. And I was thinking I'll take that risk. Let's let's leave, um, take some money, and I must admit I just used that to go travelling rather than much else. So, but that was good. So, I did some more travelling, and I'd already done a fair bit of travelling between school and university. Um, so that that was that was enjoyable. And then started my next role, which was with Dixon's Retail, which uh, is the company that owns Curry's and what used to be PC World, the electrical retailer, um, and the sort of the airport shops, and has a big European. Um, body of, of uh, companies group across the piece. So I joined them as a European logistics manager uh, and spent most of my time in Sweden, Norway, Italy, um, Greece, um, Czech Republic, France, Spain, all of these places. So that was fantastic. So I was based, based in the UK, but really working in Europe for, for, for about the first two years I was with them. Uh, and again, that was looking at a lot of the logistics processes, building some new distribution centers in, in northern Italy um, and and really just gaining more international experience and far more, I would say, a much more ruthless commercial mindset uh, where, you know, your margins are very fine in electricals. So you, you are chasing every penny mm. and you want to do that in the best possible way. So that was that was the first part of my of my job at, uh, at Dixon's. Um, and then after that, um, because I think that, that, that seemed to go reasonably well. I ended up running a, a repair operation for them, which was, again, fairly big operation. But it was a bit, it wasn't very glamorous. It wasn't very exciting. It was repairing laptops and televisions and all of these kind of things. But someone had to do it. And I, and I think I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But uh, but I did that for about a year and a, a year and a half. Um, and, and again, all good grounding. Um, and then And then I think I got, after that, I was offered what I consider to be one of the best jobs of my life, which was effectively working on the strategy for refurbishing all of the shops in, in Dixon's, creating new formats, um, taking on, there's a company called Best Buy, which is a big electrical retailer in the States. They came over to the UK, and, and one of our tasks was to stop them from thriving in the best possible way, and nothing too anti-competitive, but basically making sure our offering could compete with theirs. Uh, and they left the UK about two and a half years later, so we were quite pleased with that. Um, Comet closed down as well, uh, not not long after that, which was our other main UK 
uh, rival and, and retailer. So, you know, it was a quite a successful and exciting period. I think we transformed about 210 shops in, in 18 months. Um, so every week you could see the fruits of your labor going to new shop openings and, and other things like that. So that, I mean, it was all very, very exciting and very busy. So, but uh, great fun, very commercially driven, lots of need to focus on your customer and make sure that your customer experience is there, that they wanted to spend the money with you, not with anyone else, and that the service they got was, was fantastic. Um, didn't always work. So I'll be very honest about that before anybody phones in and says, Curry's gives us bad service sometimes. Um, but but that that was that was all very exciting, and it was a real shift, I think, in retail at that point to move away from you know pile products high and mm. whack the volume up really loud, and everyone gets really excited about it. To really think about your ranges, to be able to put products on tables that you can actually touch and pick up and, and play with, um, which you couldn't do up until then, um, and, and then really, as I say, drive that customer experience, which again is a key and important thing for what we do here at, at Bryanston. Customers yeah. being yourselves, your parents, and our commercial yeah, totally. customers as well, you know, because that, that quality of service is, is essential in everything we do. Yeah, totally. Wow, gosh, wow, that's such a that's, you know such an interesting journey. I think mm. hugely, um, you know, wow, this is, you know, kind of so different, kind of what we're kind of used to here on the show. It's oh, so really okay. interesting to hear right. on the show. Um, but so kind of well, I mean, I'm just kind of picking a point really. So yep. um, the point where you were, I think, uh, logistics uh, kind of like forecaster is that right? Um, as you were kind of leaving Royal Mail, is that right? Uh, well, it was yeah, it was it was running all the forecasting and planning in the finance team for for the logistics elements of Royal Mail, which was over a billion pounds worth of cost. So wow. you know that was that was very big. So how did that kind of compare to kind of moving into your job at Dixon's? Is that right? Is that with uh, Yeah. How did it compare to like that? They were both logistics um, space, weren't they? Well, they were both in the logistics space. So, you know, there's obviously a fair bit of things that crossed over. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you were much more out and about, I suppose, because you were visiting every, every one of those countries that I mentioned and a few others as well. So you, you were having to think very, very carefully and... Um, almost strategically about how how you wanted to get things done in those countries because different cultures operate very differently um uh, from some very it sounds a bit stereotypical but some very efficient decision making that you would get in the nordics region to to going down to the mediterranean where it was a lot more socially based and who you knew and how you operated and those kind of things so you had to think because you had to operate to the uk standards that you were trying to deliver but you had to work with very different stakeholders with different approaches who wanted different things to 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 land things effectively uh on the whole we managed to crack that sometimes it didn't work but uh, nothing too catastrophic but uh it, you know it's uh i think it's just a great training ground and building up experiences because it doesn't matter where you work you you will be dealing with very different people yeah uh, whether they're from different countries different cultures or, or whatever it doesn't really matter everyone's got very different personalities and requirements that you if you're trying to land some big changes and influence a lot of people to do things differently, you've really got to get to to understand those people as best you can and move yeah, to, to move forward. That's part of the skill, isn't it? Huge, yeah. huge it's, skill. It's the, the biggest part of any job is the people. It's, yeah, it's always, that, of course. Yeah. It's very hard. Yeah, especially in the commercial industry, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so yeah. important. Anyway, in the, so in the interest of time, it's probably best to move on to, I think, your yeah, sure. fourth song. Um, but no, thank you. We'll kind of come back to that in a second. Um, so I think we've got down as um, By the Underworld, Cowgirl, I think that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So that yeah. choice, just to kind of talk to us about that period and kind of why you chose it for that. Well, I kind of because I'd forgotten the order that I'd given you the songs. I do <laughs> apologise for that. I'm going to real amnesia tonight. I do apologise. Um, but the it, it, cowgirl. It, this was the song that I mentioned when I was I was in in that hospital doing the uh, doing the um, part of the research survey or, or experiment that they were doing. 
um and, and a friend of mine said oh you're going in take this in with you and listen to this you know and as i say it was very different to the type of music i was listening to at the time and it was and it's quite it's it's quite funny now when you look back because it was also very different to any music that was really out at that point in time unless you were really so on top of your music that you listen to loads of new things so you wouldn't have heard much of this sound of music at the time underworld then became very very big because of the song they did born slippy which came with um the, again, I've forgotten the name of the film. Uh, the movie that came out, Train Spotting, which you may have heard of, may not. Have. But nonetheless, they, they were um, they were pretty new, very different sound, um, and it kind of this is the kind of stuff that then got me into into getting more into dance music and electronic music, which I hadn't really listened to or I didn't think was worth listening to at that point in time. But this sounded very different, and it, and it just got me. It's 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 interesting. I love the sound of it. Again, it's got a lot of energy and 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 power about it, uh, especially if you can turn the volume right up. But you know, it's and, and again, it's a song that just takes me back to the, the time when I was working in the research units in in Liverpool and, and Surrey because it was it was of that time and we used to listen to yeah. this sort of music a lot and find things out together. You know, as you're as you're growing up and all new experiences. You know, so yeah, it's a great track. Love it. It's cool. It's got those kind of eclectic, diverse links to it. It's pretty cool. But anyway, we're yeah. here it now. Thank you.
cool, really cool song, really, you know, uh, is it, you know, as Nick was just saying, quite um, perhaps te- potentially underground at the time compared to, um, you know, um, mm. kind of the other kind of maybe, maybe popular tracks kind of going on, but, you know, really, really cool to listen to. Um, so, I mean, you were just saying, actually, uh, you know, um, just before uh, that music break just there, how you kind of were working with other countries and yep. you kind of, you know, getting kind of that European um, uh, kind of experience mm-hmm. uh, in like a, in, a, in a market sense. And as well, um, kind of you traveled a lot of uni- uh, kind of in between university. Um, so kind of talk to us a little bit more about kind of what you say your biggest takeaway was from something like that experience working with kind of different cultures and different people with that UK mindset, if that makes sense. I think the biggest takeaway was was ensuring that you had a very open mind and you kept an open mind. You know, you couldn't you couldn't walk in and impose UK or English values on on your the people you were working with overseas. You needed to listen. You needed to take on board their ideas. You needed to ensure people felt like they were being listened to and that they owned a lot of the things that they were doing. And you tried to provide the best advice and support and focus, I suppose, for, for where they were trying to get to. So I think openness and, and listening, but I, I'm not sure that's just from working with European countries or mm-hmm. colleagues. You know, that, that comes from any interaction, uh, I think, if, if you want to be successful. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest takeaway. That's probably where it was writ really large because cultural difference could be quite extreme in certain areas and places. Um, but uh, but no, that's certainly the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, hundred percent. No, uh, you know it's pretty pretty interesting. Um, and definitely uh, as you kind of move towards kind of your time at Brighton, that's probably I don't know how kind of in terms of time wise, I don't know how mm. far away they compare. But um, could you maybe talk to us a little bit about how you kind of got into the? I mean, you've only been here, I think, a couple, two and a half years. You said two and a half years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, talk years. to us yeah. about how you got well, into the Bryanston. Yeah, I mean, way. I mean, you're right. I, 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 so I did five years at Dixon's, and I left. I left Dixon's. I sadly lost both of my parents towards the the end of that time. So it was, it, it seemed like a natural time to move on after five years. And I, I didn't feel after the big retail transformation role that there was one that was going to be satisfying enough you feel like you're going backwards in terms of what you were doing so I, I left Dixon's after five years I then took a decision that I, I thought I was going to be a landscape designer so I took a complete veer off in a different direction and did a year's uh, qualification or I didn't quite finish it so but I did most of it but I decided it wasn't for me after all so it was a bit of a whim um, but I've always been quite fascinated by the the environment and and landscape and the way it affects mood and uh, you know how people interact with it so that was that was very interesting for me uh, and spent a fair bit of time doing that um, with grand notions of, of becoming one of these celebrity uh, landscape designers <laughs> and having my own consultancy and making lots of money that way and and feeling really creative and satisfying that need um, but but I think it also helped me realize that actually I quite enjoyed working in a big organization and I wanted to get back to that so so I went back into the job market looking for a role uh, and then by chance by luck or, or by design um I, I started working with john lewis and partners or john lewis partnership as it was called then so i did seven years working for john lewis in their retail side as well so it, it, again nowhere near the diversity of, of working at dixon's but you know during a period where you know shops were becoming less less popular with customers everything was moving online in a big way and i was there when you know 50, for the first time ever, 50% of the business moved into the online world rather wow. than being in shops. So that was quite a big change that we had to get to grips with and start to rethinking the, the retail strategy for, for John Lewis. But anyway, I did seven years there. Um, and it must have been by the end of that seven years, I was starting to feel that, you know, I'm probably done in retail 
high street shop environments. Um, so, and and the the fact that I'd done, you know, I'd done those sort of eight or nine years in higher education and working with um, students and developing courses and some of the commercial aspects of that, I had still had a quite a strong pull back to education and yeah. and what I could do there. So. That was when I started looking around at jobs in education. I must admit, I was primarily looking at uh, universities. Um, um, but then the role at Bryanston kept popping up, actually, in uh, on, on my LinkedIn feed. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll have a look at this place. So I'm, and I have to be completely honest, I hadn't heard of Bryanston uh, back then. Um, but when I looked at it and started to get a sense of the school, I thought, well, actually, this, this almost feels more like a university mm-hmm. campus. And from everything that's being said about the, the method here at Bryanston, I can see that it's an approach that's, that's one that I think I would have liked to have been at that school when I, when I was growing up. Uh, and I can see having been here, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting in the same room as me, uh, you know, the, the difference that it, it's, I think Bryanston makes to, to the pupils and, and people who come here as children and leave here as ad- ad- adults, I think, and who can conduct themselves in a very mature adult-to-adult way, um, I think is, is extremely impressive. So, you know, that, that really counted for a lot when I was looking for my, for my next job. Um, so that that happened. It was all happening during the first lockdown. So um, I'd left John Lewis at the end of January. Uh, I had two great jobs in the pipeline. One was an overseas job. One was one was working for O2. Uh, but the uh, the lockdown killed all jobs pretty much. So that that went on hold. And then, as I say, when things started to warm up again, the Bryanson job was out there. So it's um, it was the role that's that caught my attention the most. And in terms of values and beliefs as well, I think it you know really resonated. So that was that. I, I went through the whole process. Uh, I can remember driving down to Dorset. I was living in Birmingham at the time. Driving down to Dorset for my first interview. And once I'd passed Salisbury, I think I saw two cars between Salisbury and the school. Forgetting that we were still in a bit of a lockdown, uh, trying to phone my wife, who'd only ever lived in London, Birmingham and Manchester. And so say, it could be quite quiet down here. Um, but uh, but it all worked out and, and we're here now. So that was that was the journey, effectively. Yeah, wow. Boston. Cool. It's, it's nice kind of having that almost in mm. a way kind of that kind of horseshoe, maybe even full circle effect, you know, kind yeah, of potentially. going effectively yes. back to education. Yes. I think yeah. it's really, really nice yeah. in a positive yeah. way. Um, no, and good. kind of more direct to Bryanston students, I think kind of probably the final question, kind of probably getting a little bit. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, but just kind of the final question for you really is what advice, especially from, I think, maybe a non-teaching staff, but still right. an incredibly fascinating role, position, what would you kind of say your, your kind of top, a tip in a way, advice is to, to, to Bryson students, just all in all, really. I don't, I always, these questions are always quite, quite um, dangerous to answer, I think, because, um, you know, I, I've got three kids of my own and I often listen to myself talking to them and I think, oh my God, these are the things my parents used to say to me and I never listened to a word that they said. Um, but it, it does all come back to you later in life, I think. But I, I, I just think that the most important thing is be yourself, be who you are, be proud of who you are. And don't be afraid of being that person, whatever you're going to do. And if you if you go for a job interview, if you go somewhere and you you don't fit in and it's not for you, don't invest too much time in trying to make it work unless you really want to. But I would look for, for other things to do. And then and as part of being yourself, be very open about everyone else and and um, trying to to engage and be inclusive because everyone's got something to offer. Oh, 100%. So those are the things I, I think are very important. Oh, it's a, no, that's a, that's a, I think that's kind of very, I think it's quite, it, not basic in a bad way, but I think it's mm. so fundamental that it's, it, it, is, it, yeah. it's so, it doesn't I lose its so. importance, yeah. that kind of point, yeah. be yourself. So no, thank you, Nick, that's really, really important. 
Um, I think it's probably going to wrap up Brian and Dis tonight. We'll move on to your fifth and final song okay. as we um, as we kind of you know I'll be quick. wrap up. Um, so yeah, sorry. I guess the kind of final question, I, I suppose, <clears throat> is uh, just talk to us a little bit about every other uh, freckle by Alt J. Yeah, uh, well, this song uh, I kind of stumbled across this. Uh, I was listening to something on Spotify, I think, and it just came up as a recommendation. Um, so I hadn't really heard of Alt J at the time, and uh, and it, why it's important to me is because this was the song that my wife and I played uh, just as we'd finished making all of our wedding vows and walked up the aisle to this afterwards. So it was kind of our song, um, and it's just it's just important from that point of view. And I think it's I, I kind of love the quirky expression of of devotion in the song and the things that they've observed and they talk about the small things as well as the big things so it, it kind of uh, and, and the music itself is pretty quirky as well or it was to me anyway so yeah it's got a fair bit of sentimental value uh, as you can imagine oh wonderful nick thank you so much for coming on this evening it's been great My to have pleasure. what My an pleasure. incredible kind of life story i think you've got to share i think you know it's super 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 fascinating and i'll probably be listening back to myself uh listening back to the recording myself when it comes out. So thank you very much okay. for your interest. All right, thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you both. <laughs> so we'll call that a night. I think we'll be back in a probably in probably a couple of weeks um, with a different guest or maybe guest plural. I think we might be having a couple of guests come on at the same time, which is pretty interesting. Um, so kind of keep tuned for that. And uh, that's it from us. Nick, thank you very much. Ben, of course, as always, thank you very much for kind of running all the techie things. And yeah, we'll call that a night. Thank you again. And so we'll see you in a couple of weeks.